0: Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicki Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hi, so in today's episode, I'm speaking to Dan from The Wilder Kitchen. So, The Wilder Kitchen creates hot honey, which is something that I hadn't heard about until I started working with Dan and his business partner, Andy. Dan explains how this is a growing category. He talks about how he got the inspiration for this product and how his experience as a chef helped him to develop it. He talks about how he scaled the business about getting stocked in all kinds of retailers in the UK and well beyond and I think overall it's a really interesting fascinating conversation we talk a lot about the food business in particular but I think there's also a lot to be gained even if you're not interested in selling a food product so I would love now to introduce you to Dan. So hi Dan thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi thanks for having me.
0: So can we start with you please give an introduction to yourself your business and what you sell.
1: Yeah of course so uh, I am a, a street food chef my name's Dan Shearman, the creator and co-founder of the Wilder Kitchen we produce Wilderbee hot honey which is the UK's original uh, chili infused hot honey that we now sell into retailers restaurants across the across the UK and we have a, a range of hot honeys that we have developed now and uh, is out there in the in the wide world
0: well, thank you. As you can imagine, I have loads of questions for you. But let's start right at the beginning. Um, so you were a street chef originally, is that right?
1: Yeah. So it was back in 2014, I started my food truck journey. Um, and and that's kind of when I developed this product for the menu. So I went to um, New York just for a, a visit for a weekend and discovered the joys of hot honey in a... Um, in a New York sort of pizza joint and I wanted something really similar for the menu. So I came back and tried to find it, couldn't find it anywhere. So I developed my own. What I did develop was a slightly different version because a lot of the U S versions are sort of using chili mash, which include vinegars and salts and they weren't hundred percent pure, but delicious, but I wanted something more natural and, and pure. So I developed that for the menu and it was literally just using it on you know, on on sort of the first thing I think it went on was a goat's cheese salad, and then we did sort of a fried chicken, and and it just became really popular with regulars, and they were asking me to you know to sell it to them, but I didn't. I, I just put it in sort of small small jars and sold it kind of under the counter, unofficially, if you like, um and and it sort of rolled from there, and it it, it got so popular that we thought, you know what, let's I'll just start bottling it. And that's where it was kind of born into small independent retailers. And I used to sell it on online direct to consumer. And then we had a bit of a break during the pandemic because a lot of the honey that I used to source was from, you know, small beekeepers uh, and apiaries. I mean, the first honey I ever sourced was a 17 year old lad on a rooftop in in Peckham. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he uh he obviously found girls and decided that beekeeping wasn't for him anymore and we lost him but you know during the pandemic a, a lot of the other sort of beekeepers were you know quite elderly and they didn't really want to come out and you know so we lost our our, our suppliers you know our, our honey supply completely so it was only after the sort of pandemic that my business partner Andy came on board and we started to do things properly you know we really secured um you know a a, a decent sort of a a big honey supplier and outsourced to a production kitchen sort of doing things properly and at scale and we restarted again in 2021 so so now we're a proper a proper business not just sort of selling at the back of my my food truck um and doing it at quite quite a grand scale
0: well thank you for all of that and I guess yeah, there's, there's a lot, isn't there? And it seems like there's a big shift between selling something in jars from your truck to actually having a product that you can sell on your website and sell into trade. What are some of the things, what are some of those differences? What sort of things do you have to consider? Because I'm assuming when you're doing it, you know, you're just selling to the customers who are coming to see you at the van. It's a very different thing in terms of regulations and food safety. I mean, I'm sure food safety was at the front of your mind all the time, but you know what I mean? If suddenly things become a lot more regulated, don't they, when you're a business as opposed to somebody who's doing this on the side.
1: Yeah, they do. I mean, to be com- quite honest, to, to begin with, when I was sort of doing it on the truck, it was, you know, the the sort of hurdles that we we come up against now and all of the you know the the scale up requirements probably weren't being met. It was real sort of Dalboy Dalboy stuff, you know. But you know, when you go from kitchen table or in my case, you know, food truck table, to, you know, scaling up to thousands of units, you've got to consider things like your nutritionals, your allergens, you know, your shelf life testing, and then there's extended shelf life testing, looking at things like packaging and the fulfillment, you know, so you, if you're going to get into to retailers, and you're going to do it properly, you know, they they need all of that, you know, you look at the back of a food product, you see all the nutritionals and allergens, and it has to be on there. And then you know, if you're going to go into sort of the larger retailers, which we are now, is you know you need accreditations like things like BRC or, or Salsa. So it's not just a case of you know getting your food hygiene uh, rating and and getting a product out there, which well you know you can do, but if you wanted to stay relatively small and just sort of supply you know farm shops and and delis. So yeah, there's there's a lot to think about, and the, the MPD process, like I say, from from an idea of a product through to getting that to shelf. There's a lot of things you've got to, you've got to consider a lot of sort of red, red tape, if you like.
0: Thank you. It does sound like a huge job and a a massive step actually for your business. That must've been a huge leap and with a, with a lot to do to get there.
1: It was, yeah. And we're doing it, doing it properly now. That's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, sort of bringing Andy in was the, was the sort of turning point. Um, you know, because I had no idea how to get this, this product to market at at any scale. And when I was sort of doing it myself, you know, we, we started to get some really big orders and it was, you know, I was, I couldn't do all that on the food truck, obviously. And and I was, I was borrowing sort of friends, commercial kitchens, and it was just me sort of, you know, plowing away, trying to make, you know, 8,000 bottles of this stuff to get out to, you know, Honest Burgers, whoever we were working with at the time, um, and it was it was tough so you know so outsourcing to a proper you know production kitchen which Andy found for us um it's, it's just been a complete business business changer
0: I can imagine because that's that's a lot on you if you're make if you're hand making
1: yeah Got all of this
0: hot honey um I'm quite interested if you don't mind and we don't you don't have to go into masses of detail but sequentially so how does that work was the production kitchen the first step in the process of actually developing this into a product or are there things even before that and as i say you don't have to go into masses of detail i just think it's super interesting for anyone in a position similar position to how you were in 2014 who's thinking yeah i'd really like to scale up now um what what was the process
1: like it's finding the right production partner i mean there's lots of there's lots of kitchens out there that will will produce your your product for you um but obviously you don't want to compromise on on things like your, your you know ingredients and the quality of the product and there are you know the bigger players out there that will you know try and push you towards using cheaper ingredients perhaps which we've never wanted to do it's all about the, you know coming from a food background it's all about the quality of the product um, and the quality of the ingredients so you know going from kitchen table and when I say kitchen table I mean you know a either a, a, a commercial sort of kitchen your own sort of commercial kitchen or you know you could be your own kitchen that you've had sort of you know signed off by your local council and you and, and food safe and you can start producing things. But if you wanted to scale up, it's finding the right producer that can do that, keeping your quality uh, and they come with the right accreditations to get you into retail. And ideally the bigger retail. I mean they don't have to have BRC accreditation or sales accreditation, but like I say, if you want supermarkets, you will need at least one of those um, to sort of check, check the boxes. And for us, it was it was a little bit trickier than than most because working with honey is obviously a sticky job. So, you know, there was um, there was quite a lot of no's when we were knocking on doors, you know, even though the product was was already gaining some popularity and and they knew that it would be at a a big scale. Um, There was a lot of like, look, you know, the clean down is crazy. It's you know, they've they don't want to sort of clog up their machines with With honey when they've got to then clean down and work on the next product for the next customer so we found a really amazing producer that that work with us they're they're a small producer a team of two um and and we communicate every day they make you know their our our recipe to the tea um we go into the kitchen and make sure things are are sort of running the way where they need to be you know any sort of tweaks to the recipe or So they're brilliant. And that's the way to sort of work. First of all, don't go straight for the big guys, because, you know, you want to get your product right at scale. Um, And, and, uh, you know, we've we, you know, the the advice we've always had is, you know, when you're scaling up is obviously you need to get it right. Kitchen, kitchen table. And then once you scale up to a double that or triple that, the recipe will change. You, then you need to scale up again another three times and then that will change again so you need to sort of do it slowly but but just remember that when you get to that larger scale of any recipe it's going to be very different from from what you've made in your, your home kitchen
0: that's really interesting I would never considered that I I had assumed that you were just putting more of everything in to scale it up so that's yeah, really you interesting so.
1: you would think so and that even even working as a chef previously I mean I'd never scaled up anything to that level so you know you you create a recipe and generally you recreate that for 50 60 covers or whatever you're doing in a restaurant or 100 200 covers on a street food truck and they're all the same you know but then you start doing that in a you go from a saucepan on, in your kitchen to you know a huge drum or kettle in a in a commercial kitchen and suddenly the recipe is completely changed so you might need to use more chilies or you know, the heat might change, or whatever it might be, but there's there's so many elements that suddenly your recipe is completely different. So you need to just—it takes a while to get something from that kitchen to 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 shelf at that scale.
0: That's really interesting. And is that something the production kitchen worked with you on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So every new product that we get out there, we we go through um, a really stringent MPD process, which is you know going into the kitchen scaling up a number of times and then tweaking tweaking again making sure that we're 100% happy with it and then everything goes off for for the nutritionals and shelf life testing which takes a few weeks to come back and then we can start on the packaging and the branding well I mean the branding goes on in the background but the packaging and the nutritionals um so you know I guess getting something from from concept to shelf is a good few months um we're developing a product at the moment, which isn't a hot honey, funny enough. I can't say what it is at the moment, but it's it's taking a long time. But we're just going to make sure we get it. We get it right. So it could be, you know, end of this year before, you know, before we even get it out to shelf or or we're happy with it. But um, that's just the way of the way of the game.
0: And so with the nutritionals, so that's something you send off and that's done externally. So that's, I mean, I imagine, of course, you're going to be something you pay for, but it's not something you have to sort of work for yourself because that just seems to me like an absolute minefield.
1: Yeah, exactly. no, it's just something we send off. So it's, it gets sent off to a lab and then it it comes back with with what's contained in the in the product and we put down as nutritionals, including the allergens. Um, they do a, a first shelf life test and then there's the extended shelf life testing. So at the moment, you know, we put 12 months on our, our products, but you know, it's a, it's a honey they've, you know, they've, they, have they dug up Egyptian, you know, Pharaoh's covered in the stuff and it's, <laughs> it's still edible, but so, you know, honey lasts a long time, but, um, but yeah, so it's, we put a year on to start with, and then the extended shelf life testing will, will come back. I mean, we've only been going, I guess, officially for the last sort of 12 months, 18 months. And, um, So, you know, our extended shelf life is still happening. So that's how long that takes. And that, you know, that will come back, you know, within the next sort of six months or so. And we can hopefully say, right, we could put three years on the product. Um, You know, as soon as it's an infused honey, it changes. The sort of rules change a little bit.
0: That's really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about stockists. Because I think, did you mention before, I'm sure that I picked up on you saying that you were getting some big stockists before you had the production kitchen.
1: Yeah. So there was there was some actually we had some really good customers before we sort of had the production kitchen, before we rebranded, before Andy came on board. So, you know, we were this was mainly sort of contacts and friends of mine and friends of friends. So we had a lot of restaurant customers. Sorry if you can hear some digging outside, by the way. This
0: no, don't worry about that at all. And I'm thank you for explaining this as well, because I was wondering where you that was my question. How did you manage to do that um so early on? But I guess being a chef, you had
1: the right contact yeah exactly it was it was yeah it was it was great so we got into honest burgers and we did a special with pizza pilgrims and and then we started to get into small independent retailers so that kind of just started before the pandemic sort of getting into the smaller retailers the the largest portion of sales was probably d2c through the website um but again that was you know that was a, a, a small um it was a it was a blip really it was a it was a sort of a blip sort of a drop in the ocean um compared to what we're selling now um but that was you know it was great it was it was a it was more of a sort of a side hobby back then I guess and in terms of stockists now it's it's changed considerably I think you know we rebranded we were uh, initially an urban chili honey is what we call ourselves um you know the inspiration was from a hot honey over in in New York but my thought process was people won't know what a hot honey is or what it means. You know, even now, you know, we're doing tastings in in whole foods and people are coming up saying, Was it, is it warm? Is it what, you know, they're like feeling the bottle to see no, no, it's spicy. It's spicy. Um, So, you know, so people didn't really get it. And then eventually the trend became a thing. And I think that was also during the pandemic, there was a few sort of competitors that had popped up um, and they were calling themselves a hot honey and people understood it. So we thought, right, OK, we can we can now sort of brand to to the, you know, to to a hot honey, not just the chili honey. Um, uh, and the and the sort of I guess the trend for hot honey has really started to grow now in, in the UK. And we've been really lucky and and approached by, you know, a lot of the retailers that we're, we're now in, um, including Whole Foods, who came to us because they they heard of us and they, you know, they were plugged into the trend um and we've got a number of large national retailers um you know multiple supermarkets at the moment that we're talking to again you know we've we've reached out to a couple but the majority have come to us which is i mean i I guess unheard of when it comes to sort of food and drink um products so we're, we're really lucky and all the independent retailers we do some outreach ourselves obviously um but again, we're getting emails on on a daily basis saying, "Can we stock your products?" And it's like, well, of course you bloody can. Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, but it, to start with, it was hard graft, and it was picking up the phone, sending emails that wouldn't get sort of replied to. But but now, like I say, now the sort of trend is really growing, and people are sort of cottoning on. It's um, it's yeah, it's it's coming to us, and we're, we're really lucky, really fortunate.
0: That's fantastic because I imagine there are food buyers out there who are keeping an eye on trends on what consumers are buying and then they're going out and looking for products that, that meet that. Yeah. That's yeah. Happening.
1: yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, we, we're, there's a few of the sort of larger multiples that we've, we've approached and they're, they're already plugged into it. You know, they've, they've either got someone that they're talking to, um, you know, another hot honey brand or they're, they're keeping an you know, eye. They've already got something on the shelves, Um, but there's a number that, that, you know, uh, again, haven't got haven't got a sort of supply, so we're we're hopefully going to be in there this this year. So this yeah, there's big things happening. I mean, one thing I guess you, you we've got to be mindful of is a lot of the 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 larger sort of multiple retailers um, you can supply in directly. Um, you know, they might have one main warehouse and then they will they will put that out to all their all of their stores. But there's some that will use um, distributors, um, and I guess you've got to be mindful that the retailer wants. 30, 40% margin um, and then distributor wants their slice of the pie as well. So suddenly our, you know, the, the, the margin that we're making starts to dwindle. So it, going direct is, is always better. So, you know, any, any advice I'd give on finding suppliers would be try and go direct first before you go through a distributor. I mean, distributors are great. They'll get you out there. But, um, but often you'll just sort of sit with a distributor they won't necessarily sell you you've got to do that yourself so if you go direct brilliant the work will pay off and you'll and you'll make more money um but obviously yeah that that you've got to think about those sort of margins and that's got to be factored into the the cost of your overall product as well you know you go in thinking great i'm going to make one pound 50 a bottle or whatever it might be um and then suddenly you're not making anything because you're just you're going through that distributor then the retailer. big old percentage as well and suddenly there's no point in having a having a product in the first place
0: that's really interesting thank you and i just also wanted to come back if you don't mind something you mentioned a moment ago that you're speaking to some of the big retailers and maybe they've already got a hot honey supplier is that the case with with retailing this kind of products. Cause I'm thinking that when I go, if I go into Tesco, for example, I'm not sure if I can say a name, but you know, I go into Tesco and I can see however many brands of regular honey on the shelf, maybe 10 or eight or whatever, depending on the store. Um, is that how it works with food products? They only stock a certain number of brands for each category, do you know?
1: No, n- not necessarily. It depends how big the, the category is. So, you know, at the moment, hot honey is a growing trend and a growing category. But it's not huge. So, you know, what they're looking to do is service their customers on that, that category on a small scale. If it grows and it's exponential and it's it's you know, there's a, a huge market for hot honey, then you know they'll they'll get multiple brands in. It's like you know, you'll see five or six different ketchups in a supermarket, right? So, because everyone knows what ketchup is and they will yes yeah. items that people will buy and rebuy. Um so generally at the moment for sort of small trends that they're sort of cottoning on to they'll they'll test the market with one um i mean there's only there's only a, a from memory, from, i think it's sort of maybe two supermarkets that are actually doing a hot honey or, or providing a hot honey so the others we're sort of talking to at the moment um so yeah it's it's still you know it's it's a rising trend but it's still a small category so you'll probably see one hot honey in in every supermarket relatively soon um but then, you know, as, as the as the sort of trend continues to grow, then then hopefully that that category will get bigger.
0: So I guess that means for you that if the trend continues to grow, there might be retailers that have someone now, but that then, you know, a couple of years down the line looking for more stockists.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we hope so. And, look, you know, we we base our, our product wholly on quality. So, you know, it's, it's, it's based on the quality of the ingredients. You know, we use using organic wildflower honey. Um, you know, we, we source it from a single apiary where it's in certified organic wildflower meadows, and it's sort of, you know, the product is I I, I can't skimp on that. I'm, you know, I'm coming from a food yeah. background. It's sort of for me, it's it has to be that way. Um, and you know, that we use fresh chilies, we don't use a mash, you know, we don't put any, you know, vinegars or preservatives in it. So it's a really pure product. So we do know that compared to other you know hot honeys or spicy honeys on the market that our quality is above and, above and beyond so it's a really good sign that we're seeing any hot honey at all in in retailers um, and when they cotton onto the fact that you know there's a there's a better quality of hot honey out there not putting down the other um producers because there's some great hot honeys on the market as well um, but hopefully if they see the quality is is that much different then we'll get you know we'll we'll get sort of uh, that place on the on the shelf
0: yeah. And it's exciting to be in a market that is growing and developing as well. Cause I think it would be harder. I imagine, I don't know, because I've not no personal experience, but I imagine it would be harder to introduce a new, I'm just going to say something random flower, for example, a brand of flower, for example, because surely there's just, you, you know what I mean? I, that was a very bad mm. example, but you know what I mean? Something where a category, I guess, where there's already loads of competition. I suppose you would have to be, different there would have to be something about your product that was different because exactly. if you were selling a white self racing flower for example why would someone buy that
1: yeah yeah exactly I mean it, it it comes down to that I mean what are you doing something genuinely different is it category defining is it you know or is it just the quality is above and above and beyond I mean at the moment you know we were the first hot honey in in the UK so it was a brand new category that we kind of created if you like um and others followed suit i think we created it in the uk but it, you know it was if there was an already ex- if there was an existing market for hot honey it's like right okay what do we do this different yeah how do we you know and people are doing that for the condiments category anyway you've got to look at companies that are sort of going and saying right what's wrong with the condiments category you know there's too much sugar for one so there's companies that are taking that sugar out of the product and you know in some cases they are compromising on on taste <laughs> because you know they're not great um But then there's some that are really nailing it you know there's other uh, condiments producers that are sort of doing a um you know they're looking at the waste that might get generated from you know throwing away tomatoes or surplus whatever it might be and they're doing sort of wonky fruit or wonky vegetable um condiments so you know it's it's looking at category improving the quality or doing something genuinely genuinely different um and it's hard to know where hot honey sits at the moment, I guess, because we, you know, we, we are a honey, but we're also a condiment. Um, and it's funny to see where we sort of sit on the shelves. I mean, we occasionally we're in the condiments section, which is really where we want to be. Um, but, you know, then we sit in the honey section. And, you know, how often do you go and visit the honey section to pick something up on a, you know, you don't do it every weekly shop. You might have one honey that lasts you a long time in your cupboard. So, you know, we where we really want to be is that that condiment style. And it's that understanding of retailers and buyers and and the consumers of where we should sit. Um, but that also comes into our our sort of gotcha jang hot honey, which is very much a more, you know, it's, it's much more of a condiment. Um, it's, you know, it's infused with, with gotcha jang. It's it's Korean flavors. It's used on, you know, most of the applications that our hot honey would be used on. Um, but that's. a a real sort of that's a new product to the category completely so that's the first in the world in fact I was going to say UK but um first to market in the world so you know yeah we always like to do something different to get noticed new you know new to the category
0: that reminds me actually we haven't actually spoken about uses for hot honey so while Mm. we're on the subjects um Let's touch on that briefly because I yep. think that until I met you, I'd never heard of hot honey. I'm sure lots of people put honey on their toast or in their porridge or whatever, but mm. hot honey is such a different concept. Um, just tell us a few of the ways we could use it.
1: Well, the the first application for me was obviously on a slice of pizza, um, which was revolutionary. You know, it was sort of you know just you just imagine the the salty elements of a, a speck or whatever it might be, or the salty meat that's on a pizza and the sort of creamy Flor de l'art and then there's this spicy sweet honey which was a, a just an amazing combination um and i brought a bottle of the honey that i tried back from new york it's called mike's hot honey it's quite it's really big over there um and he had these applications which were you know put on fried chicken amazing ice cream incredible so you know spicy sweet ice cream really really good um and in cocktails that's another great application that people are using it for at the moment so um we've got a couple of bars and restaurants that are doing sort of spicy margaritas or spicy old fashions um so that's another great application but with the the original hot honey generally it can go on anything and when i say anything you know we haven't found anything it doesn't really go with yet um so yeah it's it's it, we we pitch that as literally a condiment for everything it's um i think it was foodism magazine that said it was the world's most versatile condiment um and and they're probably right you know but when it comes to um the gotcha the only thing it wouldn't go on is desserts i mean it could do actually but you know we haven't tried it on ice cream just yet um but yeah the applications are uh, you know there's there's so many cheese is a really good one as well christmas it, we said so we do really well at christmas because people are putting it on you know with their cheese boards Putting on their uh, pigs in blankets, their sprouts, you name it—great um, on roast carrots. I could go on forever, but yeah, it's it's got so many applications.
0: Oh, thank you. And so if people want to try it, obviously it's available on your website, which we're going to link to, and also on Amazon, which leads me on nicely to um, how, what's your experience been selling a food product on Amazon? Because grocery on Amazon isn't new, but it's relatively new compared Mm. to some of the other categories. Um, So just out of pure um, curiosity, what's your experience been like?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're relatively new to Amazon, as you know, because you've given us some 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 great help and a guiding hand getting us on there but um it's it's not our, our most profitable route to market yet but we do sell a good amount of of stock um as i mentioned to you previously as well i think the downside for us is probably the lack of reviews so people don't tend to really really do that we we sell a good amount but they don't equate to reviews um but you know i'm i'm guilty of it also and if i buy anything on amazon I don't tend to you know i'll get the email saying please review this product and i'm just time poor and i can't do it so um but yeah it's we use the fba option um which as you know is just a case of sending in stock um and watching it sell um which is naturally a larger cut um of of the product because they charge for that for the storage and also for labeling and fulfillment um, but we reflect that in our in our prices. So it's it, you'll pay slightly more if you buy us on Amazon. But obviously the uh, the, the you know, the reason for doing that was you, you'd you get, you know, your product next day. So and we, you know, we we send things out directly within a day or two, but it's not guaranteed next day delivery. So if people want something like that, um, they can they can buy us on Amazon. But it's it's a couple of quid more. Um, but we don't see that couple of pound, obviously, because that that goes into the fulfillment process for, for Amazon. Um, But, yeah, it's it's been good so far. Like I say, it's early days, but I think we're, you know, it's promising signs because we're sending bigger and bigger batches in on a monthly basis. Um, So whatever is working is working, whether that be Amazon pushing us up the search rankings because we're selling more um, or whatever it might be. Just lovely to see more of those reviews coming in.
0: I think reviews are a challenge for everyone on Amazon, regardless of mm. what you sell or what category you're in. But um, they will come, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, they we will. Some, we get some wicked reviews on our website. Um, uh, just to make you know, it, it's it's funny because we, you know, people buy directly on our website, and then they'll get an email automatically from us to say, you know, it, how did it, how did it go down? Please leave us a review if you've got time, and they and they do that automatically. I think it's probably that journey to review. Because they only have to click a button with us. Um, and then that's it. It's done and dusted. Whereas actually some of the the emails I get from Amazon on my phone, for example, I'll click it and then it will ask me to log in because it's using a webmail version. It doesn't go directly to the app. And I think, oh, that's a faff and I don't I just don't do it. Um so yeah, but no, we get some amazing reviews on a website. If only we could just transfer some of those over to Amazon, it'd be great.
0: Yeah. You're right. I think another thing of Amazon as well is that quite often we're either buying from there quite regularly or you've got your place in an order and you've got four or five things you're buying. It's just hard because I I really do try and make an effort to leave reviews because I feel like I should because I work small business on Amazon. But honestly, I usually just end up sitting down and doing them all in bulk at the end of a week or a month or whatever, because it's it's it can be a lot if you know, if you're like me and you you know, you buy a lot on there, and you're constantly getting these emails. I think it's hard, and I think a lot of people probably turn them off, or they go to the junk now as yeah. well. Yeah. I think people either have to really love your products or really hate it now to leave a review. Is what I'm seeing. You don't yeah. see that many free stars now; they're all um, really yeah, good or really bad.
1: You're right. I think that I think there just needs to be an easier journey to mm. to do it. You know, I think it just needs to be a little bit um, a little bit simpler. Mind you, I did leave a, a review for a jam jar the other day. Or <laughs> set of the set of jam jars. Because I'm just, you know, now, now I'm a seller on Amazon and think, you know, we, you know, it's it's karma, isn't it? You know, we'll put some reviews out there and hopefully some will come back to us.
0: Absolutely, I, I I agree. Um, I feel exactly the same. Um, and I know one other platform you're using. If, if I don't, if you don't mind spending a few more minutes of your time is fair. Mm. So, Fair's obviously a wholesale platform rather than direct to consumer. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about your experience on that platform because it's relatively new. I haven't spoken to that many people who are using it. Um, how, how have you found that?
1: Fair's been brilliant, actually. Um, it's really good for us. So they they, yes, you're right, that they're, they're, um, they're a wholesaler, they're a distributor, they send, normally they, they put product out to sort of retailers, but also restaurants and cafes, and, but they began with a £300 free product offer for customers and free shipping, so we took that offer and we ran with it, you know, we approached as many people as we, as we could, some of, some of them were, you know, thought it was completely, it was too good to be true, um, <laughs> And, and and that was a real that was a real hurdle to kind of to get around. it's like hang on a minute what so what what do you get out of it what do fair get out of it but generally you know fair are doing it as a huge company and they and they do it to to bring in data and new customers so they can market other products to them um but we would get the you know they would they would get 300 pound free products we get paid by fair that 300 pound in full fair would pay the shipping and the customer would get their their free product and we, we did really well, really, really well from that. And in fact, it, it brought us in enough capital to develop another uh, another product and we put some into marketing as well. So it was it was really, really good for us. Um, now it's, I think, £100 in free delivery. So it's still a brilliant offer for any any retailers new to FAIR. I mean, you've got to be new to FAIR and sign up via our link to, to take advantage. Um, but yeah, it was also really good for getting us into clients overseas so we're now in, in quite a few european retailers us as well and, and australia so that was really good so we've got some customers across the globe um and it's pretty user-friendly customers seem to really like it and there's a really great support team as well from from fair so we love it it's just the 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 challenge is to to get people to believe that you know this free product offer there's no catches you know Um, it's not too good to be true. Um, But they will, you know, they'll get the odd marketing email from FAIR. But yeah, free products, why not?
0: That's great. I mean, I've only heard good things about FAIR from people Mm -hmm. who buy stock on there and from people who sell. And with the free product offer, I'm just really curious now, is that part of your, when you approach maybe a small retailer, is that part of your approach now? Why don't you go to FAIR and give us a try? Uh, Because it seems to me like that's a great option for someone small who's a bit nervous about taking on
1: yes Definitely. and no yeah yeah so we so we have I mean we, we don't lead in with that um purely because it, it comes across a bit salesy yeah so. of course so we'll have that conversation once we're in in contact with someone if we're talking about you know samples and we, when we send them over some sample sachets to try our product and we'll say look you know if you're not with fair yet and you want to give us a try on shelf there is a hundred pound free product offer but they're already talking to us so they they know we're not a bot yeah of course no, i'm not suggesting that, but, spamming know.
0: people no, exactly. <laughs> Yeah.
1: No. so so yeah we, we do mention it um and it's on our website as well so when you go to the trade page on our website you can also you can contact us directly or you can click on the fair link and, and take advantage if they're not already signed up with fair if they are then then they can't take advantage of that but yeah it's, it's brilliant it's great for them to sort of test the water and and we get lots and lots of repeat orders through fair now as well so as soon as they they've had that free product offer they're, they're a customer for good on there normally so yeah it's it's brilliant and like I say the, the I mean the most exciting thing for me is is their reach getting us out there across across the globe so seeing customers in you know New York and um, Minnesota and you know even Canada actually we've got some clients so it's 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 amazing to see our product out there in the world and that's that's thanks to fair
0: that is really exciting and I think fair has made that a lot easier because I think before fair if you wanted to get stocked in wherever Germany or wherever it was a case of getting a distributor mm. for that country and then, then going out on your behalf. And as you mentioned before, with distributors, they're taking a big cut. So I think this, this is really nice that you can just do it yourself and that people can find you. And yeah. how does the, and this is a very practical question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because people like this stuff. How does the shipping work? Do the clients pay for shipping? So if a customer orders from Australia, for example, are they paying for that, or were you taking that
1: hit? Because obviously that's for that. Fair for that. Yeah, so fair. So in not not all countries actually. I, there's there's a list of some of them are free shipping, some of them aren't, but majority are a free product and free shipping. So fair will you know pay that hundred pounds and they'll pay the shipping as well. um And I believe that's for the first sort of three months, and then the client starts paying for for shipping. um but yeah, it's, 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 it depends on on where it is. But, you know, Australia can be quite high on the shipping rates. So once it gets past that three months, we might pay half of that shipping just to make sure we can kind of keep that keep that customer.
0: I'm thinking as we're talking as well, and this isn't something I'd, I planned on speaking to you about, but it sounds to me like you have a big fulfillment job on your hands as well at the moment if you're sending st- stocks to Amazon and you're fulfilling orders of retailers. And yeah, how are you managing all of that? Because that sounds like a massive
1: job well that's that's thanks to our amazing kitchen and production team so you know they they fulfill everything for us so you know any any orders that come in from fair straight through to the kitchen goes out from the kitchen anything that comes in from amazon they'll send in you know obviously amazon is fulfilled by so we we send in bulk um and amazon will fulfill per per order and then anything that comes in direct consumer through the website again picked up by the kitchen. Uh, And some of the larger retailers we sell into. So Whole Foods, for example, um, some of our, you know, um, distributors, Salvo and um, JD's Food Group and some of the big ones, they'll just go out by the pallet ready from the kitchen. So, yeah, they're they're doing a brilliant job. You know, I remember the days when I was I was pulling a a cart to the post office, Um, you know, my son's my son's little buggy full of full of uh, full of parcels um so yeah gone are those days thankfully I mean we, we wouldn't be able to handle it but yeah the kitchen are brilliant for that
0: that's great, right. and I guess that kind of reinforces what you're saying earlier about finding the right people to work with
1: yeah and and not all not all sort of production kitchen partners will will be able to handle the yeah, for you but you know there's obviously fulfillment warehouses as well so um a lot of food producers out there will have the, their product made and then they'll send that in bulk to a fulfillment warehouse Where it costs very similar to Amazon, I guess, but and that will be fulfilled by the warehouse for every order that comes in.
0: That's great, thank you. I have one final question before we finish up, if that's okay, which is, what would your number one piece of advice be for other product creators?
1: So, I probably wouldn't have a number one, but I might give you three short ones if I can. Yeah, go for it. So, um, I think. Well, I think. Well, if, if I was to put them in order, I think my my number one would be don't don't go it alone. So I've done that in the past with other businesses, just me as, as the founder, director and running everything. Um, and and it crumbled, you know, and I've, I've seen other founders in the same situation where they have no sort of support, you know, no sort of no one to, to keep each other going through the, the lows and, and the highs, celebrate the wins. Um, and also, you know, a business partner brings strengths So you know I'm uh, I suffer from ADHD and dyscalculia. So like when it comes to the numbers, um, I just that's that's something that's that's beyond me. So you know I'm the creative and recipe development, branding, packaging, marketing, and um, we're both sales. Um, And Andy brings in the logistical side of things, which is obviously a massive undertaking um, when you think about managing suppliers and stock and customer orders and finances. So I, I think there was. There was one key piece of advice that I, I got from um, Yanni Papalis, who's the um, one of the founders of Meat Liquor, and he said, get yourself a responsible adult, and <laughs> and I've lived by that, <laughs> and Andy is definitely my responsible adult, so without him, yeah, so I'd say that would be my number one, don't go it alone, um, you know, find find someone who's equally passionate about your product and, and do it together and, and bounce off each other um i'd say the second is probably learn so you know stay stay plugged in and listen to advice listen to podcasts uh, network so you know get out there and network with with people within the, the industry and connect with other founders go to events so you know for for me you know tr- we're, we're still trying to become experts in our field I'm, I'm sure we'll ever be experts but we're trying to become learned in our in our field you know even coming from a food background f and b and and product development is completely different it's a whole new whole new world so yeah so learning is is an is another big one and also i guess learn from your mistakes um that's that's another another sort of part of of learning um you know if you're not if you're not failing you're not trying right so um you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way but learn learn from those um and and i guess the last one would be believe in in your product over financial gain so this started as a as a genuine love for the product rather than just an opportunity to make money of course we wanted to make money when we produced the the product but you know when it started to take off and we saw a real gap in the market that's when it became a a proper business so i think if you're going to put something out there into the world make sure you really believe in it and not just a you know look at the oh you know ketchup's doing really well let's make a ketchup But why are you doing it you know is it something that's really different and do you love it so be proud of what you put out there and and don't you know don't compromise on flavor and ingredients and and like make sure it's it's something you 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 love before it goes out so I think that'd be my my three if you like
0: They're all brilliant thank you and I completely agree with you on well I agree with you on all of them but on the third one I think especially knowing that it is hard it's work I think if you don't have your heart behind it it must be so much harder
1: yeah exactly well you know what it feels like when you're working for somebody else it doesn't you know it it feels like work Um, and when you when you're working for yourself but you're doing something that you love you could be working you know really hard but it doesn't feel like work does that make sense it's yeah it does I mean it's it's because we love it and we love what we do and we're proud of what we put out everything's exciting you know, even the bumps in the road and even the challenges are challenges we haven't really faced before. And yes, they're stressful, but they're also, this is fun because we're learning and we love this industry. Whereas it's, you know, when you're, when you're working for somebody else and you're just doing a job for the sake of a job, and also the, you're putting money in their pocket, not your own. But you know, yeah, if if you love it, it's a hell of a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared with us, Dan. Pleasure.